the American Mill Spouse. I'm your host, Elizabeth Smith. This week, I got the chance to talk to Margaret. She is a Navy Marine Corps Relief Society visiting nurse in Rota, Spain right now. And we talk a little bit about what a visiting nurse is, what a cool concept it is, and how she supports women over there right now. She also has a podcast called The Mobile Milkmaid. I had a chance to be a guest on there as well, so keep an eye out for that. And you can find her on social media at The Mobile Milkmaid. I really love this conversation with Margaret. We really get into supporting women, supporting new moms, what that looks like overseas, um, maybe some blind spots when it comes to care that women are receiving, the way that providers are certified overseas. We talk about all kinds of good stuff, and this was just a really enlightening conversation for me. I'm thankful to Margaret for her time and for all the wonderful work she is doing to support women, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, I am Margaret Becker. I am a Navy military spouse. I live in Rota, Spain for the second time. I also support the military as a nurse, community health nurse and lactation consultant, Navy Marine Corps Relief Society visiting nurse. That's awesome. And you said, so second time is a second time married or was one as a kid? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I always joke, I've gone only six months of my life without an active duty ID card, a dependent (laughs) ID card, because I was before the rule, I think they've made it older now, but before when you graduated college, you had to get off (laughs) your parents and my father was still in the military when I graduated college, all the the way up until I got married, Mm -hmm. but I was when you graduated college, you had to kind of get off <laughs> their um, dependency. And then I got married after that. And so the, the, those few months I had to like get health insurance and <laughs> um, which is also so annoying for, yeah, for a couple of months, especially. Yeah, it was, it was funny. <laughs> That's funny. So tell me more about where all you've been. I know you obviously said your second time in Spain, which is so cool, but and yeah, it's also a loaded question as a military kid too, but <laughs> yeah, but you know, me. it's funny. It is a loaded question, but one I always ask everybody I meet, yeah. I'm like, where are you from? Because I know that I'll probably have lived there or near or know someone. It's like right. Kevin Bacon, but with the military. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us who obviously when you grow up on military bases or around that life, and that's what you know, you tend to marry in in the field. I said I wouldn't, but I did. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> no regrets. But so I, as a military spouse, that journey has taken me to sunny California first, and then even sunnier Hawaii. Wow. And then we were in Newport, Rhode Island, which was, I guess, our coldest place, back to California. Then we went to Spain and then Guam, and now we're back in Spain. Wow. So um, those I'll, are some great I'll, locations. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, Newport always, is, Newport's mm-hmm. one of those places that we would love to like there's very few opportunities to end up there in the air force but we were in boston and so we loved okay. we loved newport we always said it would be so cool and of course that most likely we would only ever end up there if the military sent us because there's no chance of affording most of the things in newport and <laughs> any other way but yeah it, it is very it's idyllic the history there it's mm-hmm. you know everybody's you know the sailing and the yachting it's just a beautiful place yes to to be and Boston is also a um, great place my parents yeah. now live outside of Boston so oh neat where mm-hmm. I, actually in New Hampshire so across okay. the border but but my yeah. when my father retired from the military as many do um military guys do they he worked for a contractor defense contractor in Boston and so they they settled there very cool my husband and I were married in New Hampshire so oh okay where whereabouts we got married in um Holderness uh-huh. is like, it's like just South of like Winnipesaukee on, um, uh-huh. yeah. It, church Island was technically, it's like just a little Island with just like church pews and a cross, but yeah, uh, we did our reception beautiful. in Waterville Valley over there. So oh, okay. we, yeah, yeah, we I've skied there. yeah, <laughs> we tried to go back once. So obviously like for your, cause we had never actually been to Waterville Valley before okay. the weekend of our wedding and which is just kind of, I guess like spoken a, like 
Yeah. yeah. A, a military thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Spoken <laughs> yeah. like a true military. Exactly. Spouse. Exactly. So we showed up and we were like, oh, wow, this worked out great. Like, this is a really great place. And then we tried to go back. It was the following year. I think my, a friend of mine was getting married in Massachusetts and so we're like, let's go take a weekend up in New Hampshire and go actually do all these things at Waterville that we didn't get to do. Well, mm-hmm. we went in, I think I said March, everything's closed. <laughs> like it's between yeah. winter and summer. So like no activities, uh-huh. like we were like the only people in the hotel. We had to like call a phone number if we needed like anything so because there's like nobody even there. So we made, we made that mistake, but someday we will get back there and we will enjoy Waterville for ourselves. But yeah, it's <laughs> very nice. Yes, it's, it's so, be- I mean, all of the, the all, I really love New Hampshire. There's just yeah. so many gems. And have you ever seen the movie on golden pond? Yes. That's, know. that's the <laughs> okay. lake that we were on. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> yeah. I have a dreams about having like a Chris craft and having my mail delivered um, by a boat, but <laughs> it's really, that's, really beautiful there. That was how we always explained to people like where we got married. Like if, if people had okay. seen that, we we're like, yeah, it's, it's that, but okay. anyway. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Sorry. Total, <laughs> total left turn, but no, <laughs> but yeah, it's a great area. We love it there. So what's been your favorite place? Oh, I, Spain, hands down. Yeah. We, that's why we're here twice. We took a kind of, um, farther orders to Guam and okay. then they said, you can kind of pick for, mm-hmm. it's actually our last, we think we're going to retire out of here in okay. Spain, um, which is a whole thing in itself, retiring overseas, yeah. but we've loved the experience here. Particularly we have small children you know, moving back in COVID has been, you know, Spain is not what it, any place isn't what it was. So we're, we're limited to just our province before we were limited to our town. There's curfew, you know, it's a whole nother ball game being in Europe with COVID, but Spain's culture, I say it's, it's wonderful being an American and then coming to Spain. So it's with our own community here, you know, we have a great strong military community here. And then being intertwined into their culture, which is just love of the family, Mm -hmm. sunshine, there's flowers everywhere. People are very happy and they enjoy their family. They enjoy walks. It's, it's a very slow paced of pace of life. Mm -hmm. And then the travel opportunities have been (laughs) pre-COVID the last time we were around, but I I moved here first um, time around with a nine month old. My husband just got home from deployment. I had a nine month old and two twin two-year-olds and it was you know you go to a restaurant and the grandma comes out and she like takes your kids for the meal and I mean there's kids in nightclubs here there's no boundaries of where kids can go or right so yeah and so that was wonderful so yeah I have to say Rota Spain has been a a gem very cool and you said you're probably retiring out of here are you you wanting to stay there or um you know I I think, I think we'll transition back to the States. Okay. We're trying to figure out what that looks like. We have, mm-hmm. you know, some years before that happens mm-hmm. and, you know, ideally in my heart, it would, that, that sounds very idyllic. And then we have kiddos and school and my husband's, you know, probably second career and my, and my work. And so sure. just kind of seeing what that would look like. And then right now we're in COVID. So we're just like, Oh, I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> and our parents are getting older and, um, yeah. So my brother is in the military too. And my husband's brother. So right now my brother lives in Japan and his brother lives in Berlin and before they were in Australia and mine was in Italy. And so (laughs) I think our parents are really mad at us. (laughs) They're like, seriously, (laughs) all of you come on. (laughs) Yeah. And even though they're military and they get the life, they're like, okay, we were not, you know, drinking sangria in Spain or, you know, (laughs) their life was a little bit different. So they're asking us to come home. So I'm sure sure we will. (laughs) Yeah. And you work over there right now, right? Is that what I heard you? Okay. I do. I do. Yeah. How difficult was that? Because I know from other people I've spoken to work overseas is definitely not, not an easy thing. It seems. Mm really, really hard. And I, I hope, and I know we probably will talk about this. I hope that there are new paths for military spouse opportunities overseas, particularly, you know, those who are teachers, healthcare providers, ones that have kind of very transferable careers that should be transferable Mm -hmm. without so many barriers. It it is, there's probably two nurse jobs, you know, (laughs) it's, it's very, very difficult to work overseas and you just have to kind of fight. I think because I was here before Mm -hmm. um, and worked before 
I had kind of a new people and, um, but I had to fight, you know, they drop a lot of the resources for military families through kind of some of the support networks and groups the it gets unfunded and so they drop mm-hmm. it and somebody leaves and then there's a gap in community resources it is very hard and then some of the agreements with the nation that you're in mm-hmm. so spain or italy i know italy is very hard to work in uh it there are many many barriers to to working as a spouse which is a issue and I'm sure you 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 know um that they say I have just read a statistic from I think it's the Rosie project okay mm-hmm. but 40 percent of uh, military members get out because their spouses can't work and that's yeah. a huge that's a huge oh I statistic. believe it yeah and I know that similarly all the numbers surrounding not only unemployment for military spouses but underemployment too like mm-hmm. something like over 80 percent or Mm-hmm. underemployed that even if you do manage to get a job it's you know what's available and where you are and that wears yes. on you after a while mm-hmm. it does it does yeah that kind of um taking jobs just to take any job right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. so tell me more about what you are doing over there yeah so I um when I came back there actually wasn't work for me they had unfunded the position overseas so we I'm not sure. So your husband's in the Air Force. Air Force, yep. Air Force. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does the Air Force have a component? I should know this. Um, of a kind of a visiting nurse program through like a community health. I actually don't know. So <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I can look. I can look into that. But so actually, from the early 1900s, there's a program. We have a kind of our main loan funding support. It's a nonprofit from Navy Marine Corps Relief Society. I believe many of them have that. So it's a it's an organization so that if somebody's looking for a loan, they're not going to go to like a loan shark. They're okay. going to have a kind of a interest free. Mm-hmm. They do loans and grants. And I've definitely heard kinda, about that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They also, what most people don't know, since the 1900s, have a visiting nurse program. She used to take an ambulance and like the base ambulance and go around and check on the moms and babies um, in these kind of isolated bases. So it's, for me, it's a dream job. Um, But the overseas, sometimes they have them and sometimes they don't. Okay. They're there's about 50 of us. I could be wrong now. Um, But I essentially, I... I'm a visiting nurse and a community health nurse, and I go to the homes from day two to about a year. I also can see some retirees, you know, check their blood pressure and okay. um, work with them. But my I, my background is peri perinatal or perinatal health in the NICU and postpartum nurse. So okay, moms and babies are my thing. So I go and kind of check on mom and baby and health education resources as well as hold some support groups um, for breastfeeding moms, single active duty moms. And uh, I have a perinatal grief group for those who who have experienced infertility or miscarriage, infant Mm -hmm. loss, because bereavement and grief is also kind of a big lacking resource with our military community, but there's not a lot of support when you're um, moving around and um, you've had loss. So, so it's kind of a filling the gap community health position. That's That's really cool. Yeah, it's wonderful. But when I got here, they had unfunded that there was no jobs. Um, And so I started my own kind of virtual private practice for lactation support. And in that I have found that insurance is really a big hurdle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Just as people have reached out to me and wanted their services covered, because that's really why I did it. I thought, okay, it'll be covered by insurance. And then you realize becoming an in-network provider Overseas, it's a no go, um, oh, especially with like Tricare. Yeah, they'll only they'll only allow you to be in network if you meet the requirements of your host nation, which is not the requirement for the nurses on base, you yeah, know, or yeah. the so it, so no military health or no military spouses that are. Um, let's see, we have a lot of therapists, um, internet lactation consultants, mm-hmm. um, they can't really be in network unless they're at the, you know, with a civilian position or a contract position at the military facility, if they're okay. overseas, because it's, so it's a really kind of going, huh? So somebody yeah. who's culturally competent knows the, knows the interesting. Um, yeah. It seems like that's like a real blind spot because I can see, I can see the logic of, you're seen on base. If you aren't being seen on base, you need to be, you need to meet, you know, in theory, you need to meet the criteria of, Mm -hmm. you know, essentially if you're going to go see 
uh, someone who's native to Spain as your provider, yes, they Mm -hmm. should be medically certified, but that's like a, that's a Mm -hmm. pocket of people who could service their own community. Well, it's a real, I've tried to kind of push and say like, can I see, you know, can I, this doesn't make sense to me from a, you know, culturally appropriate military spouses. Um, If we're only funding or reimbursing in network and our only option is the, the military facility and we don't even have a billeted lactation consultant. So how do we, you know, or we don't have um, these resources. And I know I've seen on the, you know, the private practice lactation forums that really getting insurance reimbursement, which it, it's supposed to be under (laughs) the affordable care act, but getting them, the insurance to reimburse and reimburse timely is, is, um, and allowing, um, new in-network providers is it's a, it's an issue. So yeah, across, I think maternal infant health services, uh, lactation support, kind of that postpartum support. And I know mental health, or I have a few friends that are, um, mental health clinicians private mm-hmm. practice and that's you know it, it takes them a year to get on board and then they've got to move again and then the state licensing Gosh. and you're going well I'm virtual so if I only see me, it just, yeah. it's just tricky mm. and that's for us that's so frustrating and really I feel like both of those are more closely tied than they pro- is probably often acknowledged I think so much mm-hmm. of what you're doing ties to mental health too like mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. lactation consultants like I have these, like, that was truly one of the worst memories when my mm-hmm. daughter was born was that those moments of trying to get her to breastfeed, like just in mm-hmm. the hospital, this first like day or two. And that's such a vulnerable and sensitive time mm-hmm. where somebody who can walk you through that well can be a huge, you know, buffer to other mental health issues, I believe, you know, right. because it's just, that's your launching pad. Like that's your launching mm-hmm. pad oftentimes into motherhood. And I think that the fact that you speak about both of those types of services being ones that are so hard to be able to, to practice with as people who are so needed. And Mm -hmm. I think that if that could be more accessible and I think about being overseas at a time like that, the ability Mm -hmm. to have a, you know, fellow military spouse, or even just like a fellow American, like you said, somebody who just culturally Mm -hmm. uh, things are just more familiar Mm-hmm. would go a long way. And so, yeah, I, I, that's, it's my passion. And I, mm-hmm. I do, I mean, our, our, the statistics for postpartum depression and maternal health statistics are, are unfortunately trending in some bad ways, particularly yeah. with COVID, but then you throw on the layer of military spouse or active duty, mm-hmm. um, maybe single mom. And we're talking, you know, 19 years old, no family can visit and, and it's, it's hard time. So having accessible care and that is supportive and, and culturally appropriate, I think is, is really vital. And like you said, um, lactation, breastfeeding can lower your rates of postpartum depression. Yeah. But when, when it also can become, when you don't have access to support, it can become a cause or a, you know, a stressor. Um, yeah, kind of, for sure. Yeah. An extra stressor mm-hmm. that really leads you down the mom mom, um, trauma, stress. Yep. Yeah. Which is easy to do. And tell me more about how this became your passion. Yeah. So I, so I grew up um, in the military and ironically, you know, I've been, my brother and I have been talking this, he's talking about this. He's a Navy OBGYN in Japan. Oh, wow. And I'm, yeah, it's, it's, we, we tease sometimes as sometime that, you know, somebody will reach out to me and say, Hey, your brother delivered me there. And now I moved here and you're helping me, you know, breastfeed. <laughs> That's amazing. Stuff. That's actually yeah, so it, neat. <laughs> it is neat. Um, he's wonderful. And he's my big brother. Um, I wasn't always a, a nurse. I was a contracting officer for the department of defense. Hmm. And I did that for a few years and it, um, it was a wonderful job but it didn't match, you know, my personality or mm. I was always interested in women's health. So I, we grew up in the military. My mom had significant perinatal loss and mm. was alone. And I think really that somewhere, you know, I don't know if some kind of Freudian thing or with my, my brother and I, we both have this kind of call to make sure that no kind of military spouse, but maternal um, I really see those moms and that isolated, those isolated women. Cause I saw that through my mother mm. who's very open now with her kind of story. And 
I'm passionate about that is just making sure that there's support and not, not people not falling through the cracks, which can Mm -hmm. often happen. So I went back to school and became, I shadowed my brother and he said, why don't you become a OBGYN? And and I very quickly was like, no, I I don't think that's for me. (laughs) And I, but I was really taken by the nurses. So I went back to school and became a nurse and um, worked as a NICU nurse and a postpartum nurse and then became a lactation consultant and started doing, I've been doing visiting nurse, being a visiting nurse in Spain and Guam and now back in Spain for about six years now. And um, it's really just, you know, fueled. I love working with families and kind of seeing that transition of um, the initial, you know, every mother, when they become a mother, it's scary. And I have worked with, you know, pediatricians and people who know, I know babies, you know, I was a NICU nurse, but when you hand, when you handed me babies and they were my own, it's scary. (laughs) (laughs) So I personally, when I had a little bit of trauma, we had infertility and then my um, husband was deployed a lot, right. When we were starting to make the, actually make the babies after a long time <laughs> of trying, no lack of trying, but, um, once we started, to, <laughs> once we started to, to actually have the babies, he was gone and I was alone. My husband, you know, I was alone with three babies under two for, the, <sighs> you know, till we moved to Spain till my son was nine months and work in night shift. And it was isolating. And I, I, for me, I, I don't really remember much of that period other than the sound of my pump and my Nespresso machine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All the um, machines keeping everyone alive. <laughs> yeah. And crying. Um, lots yeah. of crying. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly it was me, but, um, and so I, just for me, it's personal, personal mm-hmm. with my mom, personal with myself. And I, I kind of see, um, I want to be there for um, women as they transition, whether it be infertility, um, through loss, through having babies and often doing it alone as military spouses. So that's my passion. That's amazing. Three under two is... Oh, man. (laughs) We did two under two and I... I say like, I love them so much. I don't recommend it. <laughs> no. Yeah. People say like, how should I space it out for us? You know, we had in, uh, infertility mm-hmm. and then had help and had twins. And then we had oysters and Sauvignon Blanc our first time together, really with, yeah. uh, th- with the twins, they were nine months. And then we had our kind of miracle baby right after that. Yeah. And we thought, what this yeah. works. Oh my goodness. Now we have to do the opposite. Right. So it was not planned that way. Yeah. And I think that somebody has a sense of humor up there because I was really like, I want a baby. I want a baby. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the stuck ketchup bottle or something that all of a sudden you're like, Oh, oh. <laughs> that is a perfect analogy. Actually. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. We had ours somewhat similar in the sense our oldest is adopted, but I joked with my OBGYN in when we were in Idaho, because we got there childless, basically like, please help me have a baby. Like what do you know, had already been doing infertility things. And by the time we left, I'm like, IUD, like, where does my husband get a vasectomy? Like exactly. <laughs> it's all down now. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I have my tubes tied. Yeah. And my husband has a vasectomy. <laughs> Just, you never know. Yeah. And I think that you was, know. I mean, that was totally a blessing of, I think maybe even having them so close was we were uh, like, we knew we were done. There was no, like before, beforehand, we were like maybe three, you know, and we were like, we're, we're good. Like we are both on the same page. We're good now. Mm -hmm. We are blessed and done. Yeah. I think it's sometimes harder when you have to, when, I mean, it's, it's harder. Infertility is so hard Mm -hmm. and so grueling and it never leaves you that kind of um, I always say it's like a trauma that you bond with other people who've gone through it. Like I yeah. wish we had like little, like live strong bracelets You're you right. know, for, yeah. for all of our maternal yep. <laughs> traumas and be like, I see you, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe we should invent that. Yeah. yeah. I like, <laughs> yeah, I like this. We might be yeah. onto something. I, yeah. But um, I think though that having, I, a lot of people ask me about child spacing when I'm in their home and I'm kind of going, Oh, <laughs> um, and I think it's harder when you have to make that decision, yes. right. When you have to choose, because there's always going to be that, Oh, what if, mm-hmm. and instead of going, Nope, this was, you know, this was com- we're complete because it was not what I was expected. Right. Exactly. Yeah. One of my best friends, uh, her, her oldest is the same age as my oldest. And I watched her wrestle with that. And then even like, as she got older, it feeling like even harder to go back to the newborn days. And 
mm-hmm. but wanting her to have a sibling and just, you know, yeah, all of that, that when you, uh, of course, there's a huge blessing in having some ability to kind of make that decision, but it's not an easy mm-hmm. one either. So no, that no, part of that, no. I, I don't envy having to figure mm-hmm. that out, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, when you were talking about the different sorts of support that are needed, and obviously, you know, you're passionate about personally being that person. Can you tell me what exactly you feel like you see people, what are the needs, you know, like what's lacking on, on other bases or. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great question. So I think that we don't have enough. I think, so you have you know, I'm so passionate. And when I say this, it's not critical of military healthcare. I'm a big proponent. I've, mm-hmm. I've been a recipient my entire life. Right. Except for those um, six and, months, right? Yeah. Except for those <laughs> six months. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I've been to, I've lived abroad a lot on my own and then as a military spouse and I've been to, you know, other, you navigated other health care systems. I've worked at healthcare systems um, mm-hmm. that are not, you know, military. And so I, I kind of see the full breadth and of, of, of it. And so this isn't a critique, but I do understand the military lifestyle in that. And I know my husband echoes this in his own work of you get people that, um, I think air force, you have a little bit longer till you move, right. You do like a four year tour. Um, yeah, three, three and a half usually at least. Okay. I theoretically, I love that. No, that's, that's nice. So sometimes in the Navy, it's, you know, it's a year and a half mm-hmm. to um, overseas. It's three years, but a year and a half, two years. Yeah, that's and hard. then you got a whole new um, set of leadership. And so we have a lot of change out mm-hmm. and everybody's kind of changing. So sometimes I think it leaves gaps for dissemination and standardization. So mm-hmm. I really would like to see more collaboration. So really getting together kind of task force for across all services, <laughs> because, yeah. you know, there are Air Force people here in, in on this Navy base. And there's, I've lived in, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, because my mm-hmm. dad was a submariner and we had to live there. And it, it was great, by the way, stakes and um, college World Series. So <laughs> no, no, it was, it was our, our first Air Force um, base experience. And it was wonderful. Yeah. So I think that having different community members kind of having these kind of task force or collaboration so that we can have collaboration, dissemination and communication that is standardized. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and it's not just, oh, it's this is working great here and maybe we could start that here, but really getting kind of overarching programs that yeah. are supporting the family. <laughs> maternal Maternal health is my passion, mental health, mm-hmm. um, which often is intertwined. And I, I know myself personally, I am a military health professional. I've been in this life. I, you know, I can tell you what an E4 is or what an O7 is. You know, I, I know the lingo mm-hmm. and I moved around a lot, but I still, I fall through the cracks. And if I'm an advocate and someone who has to kind of naturally is going to be able to go and find all the resources, we've got a problem if I'm, I'm missing them. Right. So then right. what about somebody who's brand new to the military? And a lot of times I hear even about my program or me, oh, I thought you were the new parent support with fleet and family, or there's just not a lot of visibility and transmission of what is there, Yeah, where can you find it? And really, and now I think we have to take it to social media because that's where the young families are. Yes, true. But really, really getting, okay, you're moving to this space and not from word of mouth, but really kind of the base leadership with the different community um, support resources kind of combining on a task force or, you know, mm-hmm. quality of life, maternal health or mental health and saying, this is what we offer. Here's your resources. Cause I, myself, I pass out resources when I'm in the home mm-hmm. and I have to scrape to see, and nobody knows about that chaplain can do that or what right. we're, we're not talking. And so I would really like to see more, you check into base and you are given, these are all your resources. These numbers are updated. Yeah. This person is current. Um, <laughs> Imagine. And, yeah. And making people in charge of that. Um, it's yeah. just that, com- you know, communication, dissemination and collaboration, and then getting out and really getting into the community is mm-hmm what I would like to see more of. Yeah. I think that would be wonderful. And I think that that's definitely something 
that I don't feel like I have really any memory of existing. And that doesn't mean it didn't, like you said, maybe, maybe there were more base related resources that I knew about, but mm-hmm. I think that, and again, like you said, I mean, not only is it hard enough when it's just not even being put out there, but also as we recently referenced, when you're a new mom, you, your capacity to do much is limited, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of staying afloat. And so that kind of thing, like you said, when you get to a base or, you know, during your pregnancy and things that you can plan for, and, you know, the service you offer is so neat to me. I feel like, yeah, I don't feel like I have ever really heard much about that in terms of going to the Mm -hmm. houses. That alone is Mm -hmm. amazing. Like the idea of somebody Mm -hmm. having come to me at that time would have been incredible. With my stethoscope and a baby scale and, you know, just saying, Hey, are you peeing today? (laughs) Are you drinking water? I mean, it's so important. I'm really passionate about postpartum Mm -hmm. support, particularly um, in the community setting, but so many people fall through the cracks. And mm-hmm. if we can really get out in the community and also destigmatize asking for help or needing help, that's really mm-hmm. important. I think as military families, we're so durable, we're so resilient. And that's kind of what's praised is how tough our children are, how tough we are. I really wish there was a shift to say, that's great. And we know we have each other and there's going to be casseroles and potlucks. But these are your resources and please use them or else mm-hmm. they'll go away. And I really wish there was a push for not kind of glorifying tough it out, but glorifying um, utilizing resources or getting help. That That is what I wish because so many yeah. people are silently suffering and we know those statistics aren't good and kind of saying, uh, you know, as military spouses, we all have, everybody kind of has a really hard life. You know, we sure. move around a lot. Our, our spouses are gone. Our Everything changes. Our family's back home. Even my military family doesn't always get the modern, you know, military spouse in modernity. And, and it's kind of, we're just expected to be tough. And mm-hmm. I, I think that the expectation to, should be right now put back on, let's, let's, I know they're tough, but they also let's fill those needs that they have. That, that, that would be my like, Oh (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think you're right. And I think that just overarchingly military or not, there's so much about a new mom who's required to be their own advocate, you know, at a time when I don't think we're necessarily like firing on all cylinders at best. And the fact Mm -hmm. that in your case, for instance, having somebody who shows up and who's just checking on you, who knows you or, you know, gets to know you can recognize things that you're not recognizing. And I think between uh, both new parents, I think those aren't always the people who are the most well-equipped to recognize what they need and what resources they they need even. And I think that that sort of regular care and attention is so important Mm -hmm. too. Yeah, that's why I I get so frustrated because I I had heard a lot when kind of pushing with the insurance companies that said, well, that they can submit a reimbursement and it might be instead of kind of Mm pre-authorization for lactation services, even for, okay, you have six therapy visits or whatever it is, that mindset of they'll submit it later and we Mm -hmm. might, may or may not. And you're going, what new mom is going to sit there and file a claim? Like, it's just not going to happen. And so they know that. Yeah. And not to mention like, and what if it's not reimbursed? So then Mm -hmm. people who are going to not take advantage of a service because they're concerned about an out-of-pocket expense Mm -hmm. for something, especially Mm -hmm. if it's something that they're on the fence about, you know, I'm not sure whether or not I need this or I can figure it Mm -hmm. out on my own. And like you said, we're an independent figure it out group who, Mm -hmm. if it's a matter of, you know, a few hundred dollars even, or let me just keep slugging it out and figure it out for myself. And that's just, it shouldn't be that way at all. And I feel like you said we, and we, the fact that we have these people who want to help and these people who Mm -hmm. are certified and qualified and ready to do it. Mm -hmm. The idea of just connecting those two Mm -hmm. is of course much more complicated than, than anybody wishes it would be. But I just think that that would be so wonderful to have more of that. And for people to, I think we are so lucky as communities that, like you said, we have the, the casseroles and we have these 
I think generally we, we do have friends who are so much more like family who are more apt to jump in than mm-hmm. maybe someone in, in a different type of community, but they're not, right. they're not doctors and therapists and nurses. Like they're just doing right. their best too. And it, it just shouldn't be falling on. I think the people that it is to, to help themselves, you know, I think we need to have those resources right in front of people easy. Mm-hmm. Like you said, with a phone number that works, that's that somebody put in their phone when they got to base, you know, not necessarily yeah. scrambling for it to two weeks too late. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because, um, I, I try not, we try, we're really trying to be paperless now. The, you know, most community health nurses are the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society visiting nurse program. But sometimes when I'm in the homes, the favorite thing of people, and I will sit with somebody for two hours and lay baby and go over all this information. Mm -hmm. Their favorite thing is the magnet I have that lists all the base services. I was going to say magnet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or how to store your breast milk. And and you're going because, um, you know, people can only digest a little bit of information at a time, but that just like, okay, that's there, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, it's so true. People love that. They're like, oh, how do I get the phone number? Because no, you know, what if you don't always, I live overseas. You don't always have internet (laughs) or good internet. And so you can't like, okay, how do I dial this from off base or on base? And yeah, it becomes a thing. And so having that kind of connection and community and not having to scroll through that Facebook page that said the office of that dentist and I, you know, (laughs) right. (laughs) That's exact. And it's, it's, probably a little disheartening when you realize how much of our resources we do get from those Facebook pages where you just go on there and type in therapist. Yeah, I do it. I, yeah, we it's all do. amazing how much, you know, little stuff that, you know, that, that you just like pass to someone, you realize like that becomes the kind of way to, to get knowledge, which can be mm-hmm. good. But I think mm-hmm. that, I think we have to have a <laughs> better way a better structure exactly because all your all of your information should not be trapped inside people it mm-hmm. should be accessible whether or not you talk yeah. to the right person i think mm-hmm. and that can be a huge challenge because i think there is so much of that where it's like oh well you have to talk to so and so and i see my husband that happened on my husband's end too where it's like well they've got this information and they've got this information it's like well all together we are very strong but what happens mm-hmm. when so and so is not here or mm-hmm. i don't even know they exist <laughs> and that's right that's when you just need a magnet, right? You just need, <laughs> you just need a magnet. No, it, it is so true. It is so true. We just yeah. listen to uh, the health promotions on base, kind of trying to promote collaboration amongst, mm-hmm. you know, the community members. And yeah. she was kind of saying, she was pushing and she was saying, well, what happens if that position gets, you know, okay, yes, we're funded right now for this, commu- you know, Navy Marine Corps visiting nurse program, but what happens when she moves or when it's unfunded? Because yep. it isn't you know, civil service position. It's a, a nonprofit. Nice to have not, um, yeah. it should be there, but it's, it depends on friends. Yeah. And so what happens in these gaps, you know, when that person moves or that leaves. And so that that's part of that. What would I like to see better is that kind of transmission as we, you know, rotate and change that some things are kind of stay fluid or constant for the next group. Cause we can't leave holes because then more people fall through the cracks. Right. And just that those are, in my opinion, not, they should not be anything but permanent positions. Mm-hmm. Those are necessary positions. Yeah. And and I think that it's, that's an entire soapbox, yeah. but the way that I think just, like you said, maternal health and, and often mental health, mm-hmm. quite frankly, are seen as like tertiary and like, exactly you know, and it's like, yes, I understand that like there's not like a gaping bleeding wound right now, but that doesn't change its importance or it's life or death situation often enough. And I think that that's, what's frustrating is that these things are seen as nice to haves. And just because people have survived without them does Mm -hmm. not mean they aren't necessary. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And I, unfortunately, I think that the wound is becoming more gaping and Mm. the, the statistics probably, probably I think COVID has kind of shed a light on, um, on that, I don't know, particularly overseas, but that we have to make some big changes and really get more support out or else we're going to have some, we're going to have some gaping, gaping wounds and, and you never want to see it in just the Navy times, or I'm not sure what the Air Force (laughs) equivalent is, but these kind of articles that shed light on when, when things aren't working. Right. Right. And because that's unfortunately the case is 
oftentimes light's not shed until it's really broken Mm -hmm. until it's basically scandalous enough to make a headline. And I know, and oftentimes it needed to be fixed long, long ago. So Mm -hmm. I have, I have immense respect for everything you're doing and the fact that you recognize that and, and are working to get the word out. And I I know that's got to be hard, especially because you're moving too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like you're trying Sometimes I do, I naturally, I think a lot of um, military kids, we are probably natural pleasers and you just want to fit in because you have to change so much and move so much. And so you don't want to make any waves, but I do feel like, you know, in this kind of my advocation for these things, I've felt gaslighted a lot and Mm. I hear from great well-intentioned people. That's nice. That, that would be nice, you know? (laughs) And so it's hard because as when you pave the way and then you're ready to, to, to start something or, you know, kind of really pushing and then you go, okay, I've got to move again. So I would like to, I, to kind of join with more military spouses, more military health spouses that are healthcare providers and um, kind of really shedding light on, we need more of this. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like even just thinking about like our listeners, I think that there's also room for people who aren't necessarily in that world, still just voicing that need. And I think Absolutely. that's something it's sometimes it's hard because you do occasionally get these surveys and then you, you have to sit down and pull from the sky. Okay. What was the last thing that really pissed me off or, <laughs> you know, what, what do I want to use this for? But I think that's, that's such a constructive thing too. Like, Hey, these are the resources we need. Like I need someone checking in on me. I need to know who I should call. I need this to be covered ahead of time because I do not have the capacity to submit a reimbursement and take the risk of not being reimbursed. Mm -hmm. And the fear of more expense during this time, all that sort of thing. I think the more people the more people speak up and you know it it is a squeaky wheel situation. And like you said, the problem is there is as much as the whole goal of my podcast is breaking down the idea of a military spouse persona. Part of it is smiling and saying yes and making it work and staying quiet. And so it's hard when, when change has to happen by speaking up and making waves, but. Right. Right. No, I think, I think you speak volumes when you, you say that it has to be people saying that they need this. And mm-hmm. people saying, we can do this, let us, you know, and kind of mm-hmm. coming together and just saying, right. um, you know, like a, a lame is movement, but less, you know, <laughs> less, yes. less French revolution and more military spouses. <laughs> <laughs> I like that imagery mm-hmm. though. I'm ready for it. Okay. And similarly, tell me a little bit about your podcast. Okay. And yes. The stories that you're sharing. So, um, my podcast is called the mobile milkmaid podcast. And a lot of people think it because I'm a lactation consultant, not because, but they think it's a breastfeeding podcast, which I'm all for breastfeeding podcast. It's actually a kind of a women's stories podcast. Um, what's really important to me as I go into homes or hold community support groups is I realize the lack of support, <laughs> the lack of women being able to tell their stories, particularly women, also also support partners. I have my husband on there. He, he shares his kind of story and, and I, I'd love to, to share their um, support partner story, but I'm really interested in those stories that people are particularly marginalized or stigmatized mm-hmm. by. And so infertility, miscarriage, when breastfeeding is shameful, when the birth was traumatic loss. It sounds really heavy. I'm a, I'm a military kid, but I'm also a Midwest girl. And so there's a lot of me and joking and I say it's messy and milky. And, (laughs) you know, I tell a lot of corny jokes, but it's really kind of the whole perinatal. Um, I also have some, you know, women who've gone through, were widows, um, through just it's real life. And it's, um, I'm really, really interested in telling women's stories and kind of the magic and the tragic and where that mm-hmm. ties in. And um, so, yeah, it's it's um, become that and how to get more support, how we can do better as listeners, as support professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what my podcast is about. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's so great. And I love, like you said, I mean, it's in theory, yes, they're heavy topics, but you know, the ones I've had the chance to listen to are also 
totally relatable. And I think that's a huge part. Like you talked about having support groups. It's mm-hmm. essentially in my, in my mind, it's almost, I see it as a, a support group of a podcast, you know, where you yeah. get to hear someone who's, who's been, who's been through it or mm-hmm. who, you know, oftentimes has come out on the other side and yeah. it's, it's yeah. neat to listen to, I think, whatever stage you're in, because for me, you know, some of the stories are places I'd been before where I am now. And I think it's really cool. It, it just creates that, that community and that relatability. And like you yeah. said, because a lot of people are going through different things silently or on their own or in an isolated way. And I think it's really neat that you share the the stories of people who are often going through very similar things. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I have really enjoyed your um, podcast as a, I, I was, I reached out to you cause I listened and I thought, Oh, I just love the voice and echoing of the modern American military spouse and the American oh, military spouse. And I just think it's so important talking about, I wish, I wish I would have been connected at this kind of thing sooner. I'm, I'm new with podcasts, <laughs> but I think it's so important because I, I, similar with the health care element. Like I'm an advocate. I've been a military spouse, been a military child, but, and even in that so much is hard and novel. And I am, you know, taught to just be like, okay, yeah, that should be easier. We, 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 we think things look a certain way and there's that mm-hmm. ideal military spouse. And then I really realize, oh, there's none. <laughs> right. So right. I, yeah. I really appreciate your um, transparency and kind of all of the, the elements that impact our life. So it's really great to thank you. (laughs) It's been, it's yeah, it's an, it's been an awesome learning experience for me and people that I've talked to who I've known for years, who I'll talk to and be like, wow, what a different perspective or, you know, what a different experience than I thought you had, or than Mm -hmm. the person I maybe even thought you were. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's been neat. Like you said, it's just, it's all about we have so much in common, but we are all also so different and all, we all have something to offer, which is really neat. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Th- that has been my, probably one of my greatest things as growing up in the military. Um, and then being a military spouse is ha- is the people is having to meet people from every walk of life. You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. I hear, Oh, military spouses, you're just one way. And I have met people from every religion, every, um, background yeah. immigrants, you know, just everything. And, there is a common thread to our lives, but sure. it's, it's just been such a wonderful cross-section of society kind of all thrown together and put in challenges and you just really yes. meet some, some, some good eggs. <laughs> yes. Totally agree. Completely agree. Well, before I let you go, I will subject you to our rapid fire round as I do. Yeah. So <laughs> first one is sweet or savory. Savory all day long, Midwest curl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what would be your theme song? The Mother by Brandy Carlisle. It's, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Man, <laughs> we're crying in or, your movie, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Or, or a crowded table. She has a, a crowded yes. table with high women. Oh, gosh. Okay. All day long. <laughs> That's a great song. Oh, those are good. When is the last time that you did something for the first time? You know, I, this podcast, I would say I started the, my podcast, the Movement Me podcast in, I started in November mm-hmm. and it was so far out of my realm of vulnerability. I get nervous with sending an email and I, right? I'm a one-to-one kind of, you know, get in your home and let's mm-hmm. look at your boobs kind of person and uh, walk through that. <laughs> and I am. And so this kind of, when people meet you and they say, oh, I listen to your podcast. I, I get so scared because yeah. they know me without knowing me. I, I <laughs> no, I, and it's so funny because I am the same. And I think that again, going back to these like stigmas of who things are and who people are like that podcasters are not like I am an, a same thing, a one-on-one, which obviously to us, that's what this is right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. But then even the other day, my husband, I heard him downstairs while I was working and he was listening to an episode and I'm like, like, I can't hear myself. Like how, especially now someone edits for me. So there are plenty of times when I'm like, like, I don't, I don't want to hear myself talk. And the fact that people listen to me talk and all of that, it's, it's a total, it's like, 
messes with my mind a little bit. I'm like, what am I doing? How did I get here? How is this a thing yeah, I do now? <laughs> I know. How is this our thing? I know. Well, right. Brene, Brene Brown says we have to be vulnerable. And um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. You're speaking to my heart on all of this. She is my queen. I, I My sister just got me a mug that says, what would Brene do? So yeah, yeah. that's my, my moral compass. <laughs> yeah, she, she's, she's, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, the last one is, what is your favorite form of self-care? I'm, I'm a meditator. Mm. I, I'm new to meditation, but for me, it's really, really helpful. So I, I set an alarm on my phone to meditate twice a day is my goal. Um, and t- 10 minutes. I really love Elizabeth Lesser. She just wrote a great book called um, Cassandra Speaks for all the ladies out there. It's pretty progressive, but it talks about how women's stories haven't been told through history. Oh, neat. Her sister was a community health nurse like, like I am, and she passed away. And her sister's motto when she died was, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear, but it was do no harm and take no shit. Yeah, you're good. Um, okay. Uh, it was do no harm and take no shit. And so she has like one hand open for the world because you were caring and compassionate, do no harm as a nurse. And then one hand up that says like boundaries. And so mm-hmm. that I do that. And I know it sounds really funky. If you would have, if I would have said I meditate like a year ago, pre COVID, it'd be like, no, I wouldn't. I don't even stretch, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying and it helps me and it also helps my kids. So when they're really funky or, you know, needing to lose it and I can be there as much as I can, but I, I'm a natural fixer. So when I'm feeling like I need to fix it, I put a little tape headphones on them and put a little kids meditation on there. Mm. My twins are eight. My son's almost seven, but it's really helped our whole family kind of be a little bit more pause. I realize we're really good with going, going, going in our military life, mm-hmm. but we're not so good with quiet mm-hmm. and we've had to all be together. So it might, yeah. So some mindfulness meditation is my new self-care and I'm really enjoying it. It's hard though. That's great. That's, I might have to, I might have to give that a try because the rest of how you're describing that is who we are right now. So <laughs> I imagine we could, mm-hmm. we could probably use a little bit of that, just slow down and take a pause yeah. and take a breath. Yeah. yeah. It feels really, really awkward at first. And, you know, the grocery list comes up and all the right. things I have to do. But then when I just, I realize that I'm really good with other people's stuff, you know, kind of working, you know, I'm a girl's girl in the empathy kind of way, not in right. the, like, I can't tell you what mascara you should use, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, in the kind of friend zone and, yes. um, nurse. And I realize that my whole life is other people and my own family, and I'm not really good with that kind of quiet and pause. And so it's mm-hmm. making me do it. So ladies, we need this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, I'll try it. You've sold me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Margaret for her time. Once again, keep up with her on social media at The Mobile Milkmaid. And you can follow us on social media as well at The American Mill Spouse. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be extremely grateful if you would like it, subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating if you haven't already, and reviews are extra helpful as well. It's the way that we can grow, and anytime you take a moment to do that, I'm extremely appreciative, and it means so much to me. I hope you all have a great week, and we'll talk again soon.